Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. For those of you in the United States, today is Thanksgiving. When you start out as a junior developer, you're typically focused on a single project, learning the system and tools at your workplace. As you get further along in your career, you'll begin to take on more responsibilities and begin working on multiple projects. It can be difficult to handle the expectations of all those extra projects. So we're going to discuss nine ways to survive working on multiple projects. But before we begin, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Um, I'm juggling three critical projects right now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So like they're... Uh, you know, and we've got a release coming up and we've got some bugs and we've got some, you know, folks that need management guidance and the end of the year is coming up. So yeah, it's, it's getting, it's getting a little hectic. Mm-hmm. This is a, the best way to put it. It always um, does around this time of year anyways. Yeah. So basically, um, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I, I come home and I mean, there's just, there's nothing in the tank right now mm-hmm. when I get home. So that and I'm, I'm lifting heavy again, which is nice. That makes me feel a little bit better. That's about all I got. How about you? Well, at work, we've been standardizing our tasks so that we can move developers around easier and kind of all be on the same page. Earlier this week, I wrote the initial draft of our task definitions for the API developers. It's really exciting how much I get to be involved in these processes, especially as someone so new to the field. I've only been in it for what, like four years now? Yeah, because I started I started studying and working with you about a year before we started the podcast. Yep. So I've been I've been doing this about four years, and I'm getting to help create things that are going to affect development for years to come. And it's just it's so exciting to be in a workplace that not only values developer opinions but values every developer's opinions. Also, I've been packing up and preparing to move. I'll be moving in a couple of weeks in December. My place right now is really, really messy as I've been going through things and throwing out what I don't need and packing the things I do. You know how they say that uh, put something away and if you don't pull it out in a year, throw it away? Well, you know, I put a bunch of stuff away two years ago when I moved into my apartment. And so I'm throwing a lot of things away that have no sentimental value whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to moving to a bigger place where I can host some house parties. I know it's a bit of a drive for you guys to come down there. So I'm hoping maybe a couple of times a year I can get to. Uh, well, you it's not family. that far from my parents, though. That's very true. It's not. So I'm, I'm hoping I can get you guys out uh, maybe a couple of times a year. Uh, I'll probably be having a birthday slash housewarming party there. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I'm actually going down this weekend, so I'm going to be staying at my mom's place tonight, and then we're going to work on the house all day Saturday. The I, I really like the guy that I'm, gonna, I'm getting the house from because I'm not officially getting it until December, 
But because there's no one living in it now, he's letting me come in and do some work on the house. I, mean, I guess it's, it benefits him because if I flake on him, I've still come in and put like days worth of work into. Unless you tear the place up bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so um, that's really cool. Also, again, for our American listeners, the day that this episode airs is Thanksgiving. And with that in mind, I've got something that um, you can do this year for IOTs. Have you guys ever wondered what temperature your Thanksgiving turkey really is when the timer goes off? This project uses a thermistor to determine the temperature of the turkey while it's cooking. Now, a thermistor is simply a temperature-dependent resistor, and the resistance changes as the temperature increases. So, a positive temperature coefficient thermistor increases the resistance as the temperature rises. And as you can guess, a negative temperature coefficient thermistor, the resistance goes down as the temperature rises. And the temperature is then measured from the amount of resistance on the thermistor and transmitted to a dashboard using low sand. Now, I realize this is coming out on Thanksgiving Day, so you may not be able to do it this year, but this is a really cool project that you can start working on for the holidays next year or maybe for cooking your Christmas turkey. And I'll have a link to this really awesome project in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got some website feedback from Patrick. Thank you for your great podcast. In the episode, Inversion of Control, you talked about scheduling and how a junior and a mid-level developer would schedule his tasks. And I was eager to... I was eager to waiting on your opinion on how a senior developer would schedule the tasks. Hope you can make an episode on senior level task scheduling or how to survive being assigned to multiple projects. Greetings from Austria, Patrick. So, Patrick, we've added a backlog item for an episode on senior level task scheduling. And if you check out our Facebook page, we actually answered that question partially in one of our lives. Which was the live that dropped on November 1st. This episode uh, came about as a result of your request. We love getting episode ideas from our listeners because that tells us what you guys want to hear. Yeah, and it's you know, that much easier on us. Yeah. <laughs> we were discussing it just a few minutes ago. We have over 200 episode ideas in our backlog. But when we get an episode from a listener or yeah, a it jumps to the front, it, it really does. I was working on a different episode when we got this email and I stopped what I was working on because I loved this idea so much. So, Patrick, thank you. Send us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you want your very own complete developer water bottle or to have your ideas talked about on the show, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer listener questions like Patrick's. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. So guys, working on multiple projects can be very difficult. It's hard to switch between different goals and even different versions of the software you're using on different projects. Uh, some may be older that you are maintaining and others may be newer ones using more modern technologies. 
While the projects may seem similar in objective, they likely involve working with different software products, different development and business teams, different timelines, and even different locations. These need to be managed as separate projects, but you still have to keep yourself organized and productive in one work environment. We'll be discussing nine different tactics to use when working on multiple projects at the same time. They are broken down into three areas, managing tasks, managing resources, and managing perceptions. So the first we're going to talk about is managing your tasks. Projects will have different priorities at different times. Tasks within those projects will also have different priorities. In order to succeed in multiple projects, you need to be able to prioritize your tasks and the time you spend on each project. Once you know your priorities, you can then plan out your time accordingly. So the first thing is obviously task prioritization. Make checklists of items that need to be completed. Um, I do this. I have I use Nosby for mm-hmm. my to-do list. I've got um, priority levels in there. I tag it. Um, and I'm, I'm using that for work because it would be insane otherwise. Compare items that need to be completed in the next hour versus the next day versus the next week. I have you know those my prioritization levels are time-based. It's not mm-hmm. based off of this is top priority because the, and the reason is, is I do not want to go in and change them every time the top priority changes. Right. Also know the priority of your tasks, which are more important than others. Yeah. This includes like which things are due first. Without this, you can work a lot of hours and you can still fall behind because you're not working on the right things. Now, the other thing, too, is knowing which ones are due first. That also lets you make excuses, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. And and this is something I have seen um, in junior developers where they will, you know, let's say you're on a scrum team and at the beginning of the sprint, they'll start working with like, all right, well, we want you to play around with this technology and, and check it out. So they'll do that because it's more interesting at the beginning yep. of the sprint and then be scrambling mid sprint to get everything done in time for the QA to test. Yeah. And that's something every junior developer learns. I think the hard way pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. It, it's very difficult on me because I have learned this the hard way. Yeah. Um, I remember. And, and yeah, I would say I, I learned <laughs> it the hard way, not here. Yeah. Not in development before I got into development. And you were around back then, too. Yeah. but College. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. Um, and so I am seeing junior developers do this. And I have to remind myself, they have to learn the hard way. I, I can't go in and tell them, hey, don't do this because they're not going to get the lesson. Yeah. You can't convince them that that fork doesn't go in that light socket. Right. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Now, uh, another thing here is that you know, email. You do not have to reply to every message immediately. This this applies to you know email, Skype, you know mm-hmm. whatever. You don't have to drop everything, and it, it may feel like you do. I know I get really personally. It, it's frustrating for me when I get a bunch of messages on Slack or I get tagged in things. It's okay if I look at it and go, "Oh, wait, that doesn't apply to me." I just move on. Yeah, when they hit at channel, yeah, like we do. <laughs> we, the thing is, we we only do that. Yeah. Once a week to announce something that we want everyone's attention for. Yeah. But, and, and, at and channel, it's part of their reason to be in that channel yeah. too. At channel isn't a big deal for me at work. They don't do that very often. It's when like both API and UI developers get tagged in something and it's obviously a UI thing. Right. Or when I get tagged in something and I'm like, all right, that is very low priority where I'm working on this really high priority thing. And you just interrupted me. 
And now it's going to take me 20 minutes to get back into the thought process. Yeah. And you basically just have to do like regular intervals to, mm-hmm. to check various mediums. I, I know a lot of people that use the Pomodoro technique. You know, John Sonmis does that, as does Josh Earl, who's his business partner. And that's really handy. It's like I work on one thing. I'm not paying attention to anything else. And we're going to talk more on that in yeah. a little bit. So, you, you know, you might check your email first thing in the morning uh, before or after lunch. I'd probably do both. Um, and in the evening. Yeah, usually what I do is when I start my day, I, I jump on and I check Slack first because that's where people expect the most quick response. Plus, we since we work remote, we check in on Slack. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll check my Slack. Then I'll go over to my email and I'll go through the previous days and then today's emails, um, depending on what time I start. If I have to go into the office, I start later. So, I tend to have more emails on those days when I started, when I'm at home, I start a lot earlier and I, and then right before I leave for lunch, I'll check it. And then when I get back from lunch, yeah, because you don't want somebody to send you something and you know, like you be away and it be important. Yeah. I mean, you got to be reachable in a remote environment mm-hmm. or in a office place. Um, I will also say too, it's not just replying to every message, but you don't have to pay attention to every message immediately either. There's one guy in our office that I've gotten to the point now I'm about to set up an email filter and put his stuff just in a folder because he replies. He'll write like a a single sentence and hit control enter. And then, oh, I thought about this other thing. And he'll start another reply. And (laughs) and so like you look and you got like 14 email messages from this guy and -hmm. he's basically having a dialogue or he's having a monologue. I don't need that in my day. And so I'm going to filter that out. More of a chat. Like a Slack type Yeah, thing. SMTP is a chat protocol. I, I don't understand it, but that's what he does. <laughs> um, and so you're going to run into people that have quirks like that, and you've got you to work around it. And so it's not just the answering of emails, but like don't even open it. Yeah. Because, you know, you might get one that's saying, oh, you know, where, where somebody's chewing you out first thing in the morning. Like, mm-hmm. that's still going to mess you up. So yeah. no, you also need to create a list of tasks to go through during your day and Classify and prioritize them based on the projects that you're working on. I do this every morning. I do too. 6 a.m. Yeah. So the first thing I do, like before I, I talked about earlier with the messaging, I look at Slack before I even do that. I sit down and I have, they, they joke it's my work Bible because it's a black moleskin yep. about the size of a Bible. But I, I have my work notebook and I write down my daily stand up. So I write down what I did yesterday um, because it may not, I may not have gotten to every task I had yesterday. So if I put that in the done, when that when I then go look at what I said I was going to do yesterday, I see one or two items that I didn't get to yesterday. Let me put those at the top of my list unless there's something more pressing. You know, and then I I make my list of what I'm going to do today. Yeah, and I'm mine's kind of similar. I have the the priority bucket that's for the next 2 days, you know, and stuff moves through. And so like every morning I check that one for the next 2 days and the ones that I'm going to do today I star so it goes in the, mm-hmm. the actual real priority bucket. Yeah. And then on Sundays and Wednesdays I check, you know, the the ones that are two steps below that, so like the, you know, the next 2 weeks, the next mm-hmm. 2 months and move stuff up. And right. that works pretty darn well. Now, we use things like weekly reports to keep up with what tasks are due next or like your two-day. Yeah, I have a weekly review. Yeah. This is like a weekly version of your daily stand-up. You and I do this when we get together. We don't officially call it a stand-up, but before we start recording or even doing the live, we run through what we've done. Well, and I think part of that, too, is we're we're very – we know how – we are easily distracted. And so we're just mitigating that by getting it out of the way. Yeah. Check tasks off after you finish each one. Don't look at it 
list that's full of stuff that you think you haven't done that doesn't have the check mark by it because that's that's mental overhead that's just mm-hmm. going to slow you down. So the next one is focus on the task at hand. You'll be more productive if you use your time wisely. And this means staying focused on your priorities. Yeah. And part of that is finding the environment that helps you focus. That's why I work from home two days a week. Mm-hmm. This is going to be different between people. So you and I have different ways to focus. I like to have a little bit of noise going on. I do sometimes. Yeah. But I can't I can't for an extended period of time. Like I can't sit and listen to music or podcasts for hours most of the time. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm in a real bad mood. You've joked with people that we have our business meetings at coffee shops and restaurants and bars because it helps me focus. Yeah. Because all the stuff going on yeah, you have to block it out and so you, you work better, whereas it's it's a little taxing on me, Yeah, which is why coffee shops work well, because I can just dump a bunch of caffeine on top of that. Mm-hmm. Which is what, what we have learned working together, that, all right, what type of environment can we both work in? So the next point is to put your full attention on the task that you're doing. And this takes discipline and practice. If you're used to interrupting one thing halfway through because a random thought came up about something else, you've got to push it away and stay where you are. Now, this may mean recording it quickly. That's mm-hmm. what I've got. I've got a shortcut key combination. I can hit uh, Control-Shift-Space and type something in, and it goes into Nosby into a, an inbox. Hmm. I'll triage later. I keep a notebook with me. Yeah. And a, and a pen on hand at all times, and I just grab it and I write it down. Yeah. See, I don't even have to take my hands off the keyboard for this. That's mm-hmm. the thing for me. Um, or if I see stuff on in the code, it's like, oh, I need to come back to that later. I can do that too, so I can take notes. It kind of doubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, sometimes I'll, I'll pop over to, um, going back to te- not taking your hands off, sometimes I'll pop over to VS Code. Yeah. Command in, open up a new one, and then type it in, which for you would be control in because you're on a... Windows machine. Because I'm a plebe on a Windows machine. Just, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I am, I am loving my Mac. So, yeah. If you're worried about losing a, a good idea, it's worth it to write it down. Because like, that overhead of worrying about it and trying to hang mm-hmm. on to that, that's, you lose a lot. You don't realize what the weight of ideas is. Thing is, don't worry too much because if it's a really, really good idea, it will return. And a quick example of this, I had this great idea for an episode. And I was at a place I was not able to write anything down. And it was an episode with a friend of ours. And I was like, all right, well, I will remember, I will, I will focus on the title and I'll try to remember that. If not, it'll come back to me because it's a really good idea. And you know what? Three hours later, when I had a chance to stop what I was doing and write it down, I remembered that title and the whole thing came back to me. What I do for that is I've, I've noticed if I think about something really hard and then I put something in a place that doesn't belong, that when I go looking for that thing and I find it, I remember the other part. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I'll put my keys somewhere stupid and just, Mm -hmm. like, I I do that all the time. And so, you know, my keys might be, like, in my wallet, which is like, why are they there? You know, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. You just got to come up with stuff that that works. Speaking of silly tricks, too, that help you out, time block is a technique to increase productivity when working on multiple projects. So, what you do is you start by carving out time for a particular task during the day. And then sticking with that. And this could be time for one project or for one task, or it could be for a set of related tasks or client-specific tasks. This reduces the cost of context switching because you're focused during that time. Yeah, and there's a couple of ways to do it, too, because, you know, you can you can say, I do this type of task during this time of day. Mm-hmm. Like, I write on Sunday afternoons. But on the other hand, I can also go, okay, 
like I have to write a crap ton of nasty sequel and I know when I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. For example, I do all of our editing and I edit on Wednesday nights. Yeah. I have no other plans on Wednesday nights. But you know what? Tuesday is my go out night. Yeah. That is my, you know, I, I do my Bible study uh, every other week and I go play trivia the off weeks. And when you've got a rhythm like that, it, yeah. it really helps. You just, you're just going to, you're going to have to play with it and try to come up with something that works. Mm-hmm. Now, going even deeper than time blocking is what you mentioned earlier, the Pomodoro technique. And this consists of choosing a task to do and working for about a 25 minute span with out distractions. The idea comes from the tomato or Pomodoro shaped timer used to time units of work. Yeah. So you work undistracted for 25 minute segments. You set a timer and you stop working when it goes off. I've tried this in the past and like I get 25 minutes in and I'm on a roll. So I'm not mm-hmm. stopping. So, That's the problem I have too is yeah. I, I, I can go for two or three hours on a roll. If, yeah. But if I'm really struggling and I'm not be I'm not able to get on a roll. That's when I that find- break will help too, and you come yeah. back and then you hit it. Yeah, that's that's what I find. This was like, all right, I'm going to force myself to focus. Writing some outlines that have been really difficult. Yeah, we've had a I've few of those this. here lately. Yeah, and it considers rest time as as important as working time. So that five minute rest break that is something you should do. Also, after about four pomodoros, take a full pomodoro off. Yeah, you know, a twenty to thirty minute break. Because you, you're going to need that. The yeah. thing with this, it, it helps us, those of us that, like Will and I, get super focused, it helps us to remember to take those breaks so that we don't burn ourselves out in four hours and we've still got another four hours of the day left. Yeah, that's especially bad when you're in the office. When you're mm-hmm. working from home and you've, yeah. you've crushed a full day's worth of stuff by lunch, you know, and you've got a little bit of control over what you're doing, you can kind of go, okay, I'm going to take some easier stuff for the afternoon. Right. So next is an interesting way of doing projects that I found. And this is the ABC, ABC, ABC versus AAA, BBB, CCC. That will make a lot more sense in just a moment as we explain it. When managing multiple projects, many people jump from project to project. Yeah, for example, with nine weeks to complete projects A, B, and C, they'll bounce between them. Uh, They may work a little bit on project A, a little bit on project B, a little bit on project C, and then start the sequence all over again. So everybody's getting attention, but nobody's getting focus. Trying to complete multiple projects this way quickly becomes really overwhelming. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the situation I'm in right now um, because of constraints. And all those transitions really cut into your productivity and they waste time. I mean, just like switching switching projects at work. We have a massive solution, right? Mm -hmm. In Visual Studio. It's got like 30 something projects in it and it's slow to open. Doing that and ReSharper, I mean, I can, I can open it and probably 10 to 12 minutes later, it's actually runnable. Wow. Um, and a lot of that's because it's VS 2013 and because there's code in there that shouldn't be in there. And there's a lot of components that we're trying to choke out and, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. but switching branches is a half hour process for me. Really? Because of that, because I have to close one solution, wait on it, you know, open the other one up, wait on all the stuff to go build. Oh, wait, I got to pull the latest where you got a slow subversion. You know, there's all that stuff going on. Right. And so if I'm context switching three or four times a day, I'm losing basically half a day. So I I try not to do that. And I could keep both of them open, but I've noticed Visual Studio with the same solution name 
open two, you know, two instances of it gets, it does some really weird stuff. They've got something oh, yeah. in there that looks for the window title or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're doing. So if you have a chance, go to the website and look at the show notes because you'll, it's easier to visualize when it's in front of you and understand what we're talking about. But each unit of work requires switching to a different context. Like you're saying, like for you, it's 30 minutes to switch context. Yeah. Which we're working on fixing that. Right. Yeah. Now it, it's not possible to switch tasks and make transitions without some sort of loss in effectiveness. Yours is an extreme case of yeah, that. Yeah. And it's a complicated stuff yeah. because I also have to think, okay, what's actually in this branch? Because mm-hmm. we've done, you know, we've like I have had a class with a bunch of extension methods in it that I was looking for the other day. And I'm like, I know I wrote this. This is yeah. another branch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to bring it over and go, okay, well, it's going to be somebody's problem when we merge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. not mine. <laughs> I, I, I understand. I am. Um, our UI developer was a conference last week and I was doing some bug fixing that involved both the front end and the back end. And so the front end I have on the Mac OS and the back end I have to have in a Windows um, VM. And so I do something on the Windows VM, but in order to get that code over, I'd have to commit and push it up into Git, and then I'd have to go over and pull it down. So there was like this this back and forth that, that took a little while. Yeah. Uh, it, it You have to start and stop and then go back a few steps and try to regain momentum every time you switch tasks and it just and you becomes, lose stuff yeah you, you lose stuff you lose your thought process there's just a lot of tedium to it now if these are projects that will earn money it's going to take longer for you to start filling your wallet yeah so like if you're getting paid at project completion you don't want to be doing you don't want to interleave three projects right mm-hmm. you want to get one done get paid yeah. Get the second one done, get paid. Like that, that's a much better way to do it. In the, that method where you work on one project to completion and then you move to the next one and then you move to the next one. Even if it's, even if those projects are just, um, like with Scrum where you work on a minimum viable product right. for each sprint. So you work on one MVP, you get that done and you move to the next one. So it would be, I, I guess it would be like working on a story and finishing that story before you move to, another project to work on a story there as opposed to working on a task here, a task there, a task here, a task there. Yeah. Um, once you finish, you start seeing results and that there's a psychological component to that where it, on it, both sides. Yeah. Where you, you get that and you just want to keep going. Um, you lose less time and less momentum between tasks and you'll actually get something finished. So the next thing you have to do is you have to manage resources. Now, when you're working on multiple projects, you'll need transparency about what tasks are coming up and when you and other members of your team have time off. Resources aren't just people. They can include internal and external services you connect with, as well as hardware, software, um, you know, stuff that you create, deploy, manage your application. You've got you know meeting rooms. You've got all this other stuff that has to be coordinated in addition to just the code. And so... The first point under here is to review your workload regularly. Keep an eye on your workload throughout the week. Plan what's coming up in the next week or month and make sure that you'll be able to do all of your upcoming tasks. Yeah, we have a monthly meeting at work. We had it um, actually today trying to figure out where everybody's workload is for the rest of the month. Like, are we overloaded? And if you are, then you have to prioritize those and say, all right, what are the things that have to get done? 
and what are the things that you know if we completely run out of time aren't going to kill us right and and also putting that back on management and making them make that decision right in many cases is very valuable each week you might want to set aside some time to review your task list yeah um, and i mean i set time aside every day mm-hmm. for that um, i do that on fridays uh part of it because i have to write a weekly report yeah. to uh, that passes up through management and I write what I've worked on that week and what I'm planning on doing the next week. Well, and I'm also dealing with my, my team's task list as well. Yeah. And so, so it's you, like, you have a different perspective than I yeah. do. And so it like, if, if I let that sit for a day and a half, it's, mm-hmm. it's over the top of me. You're, right. you're swamped. So the thing is you have to compare this to your priorities and to your project due dates because yeah. you, you may have a lot of high priority tasks and you've got some low priority tasks, but the due date on those low tasks is sooner than your high priorities. Yeah, because there's some, you know, there's some reason that yeah. it's got to get done. And, and it, it may be that project is almost at completion. Yeah, and they and just want to get it out of the way and clear those developers off of that so they can right. get help. I mean, there's a lot of stuff comes up on this. So you need to, you'll need to reprioritize your list as you go through and review it. Also, go through your overall to-do list or your project schedules. You know, review critical tasks and how long they are going to take to complete. Make sure that you have enough time to actually complete the task. You know, when you're estimating, that's a real good idea. <laughs> um, this may mean that you won't be able to accomplish lower priority tasks. If you have deadlines, you'll also need to review requirements so that you don't miss things. Like the mm-hmm. worst thing in the world is being at the you know last day of a sprint and you find out that there's three days worth of work that has to be done before your one thing gets done and everybody else is waiting on you. That's real uncomfortable. Everybody does that at some point in their career. Uh, we, we've all been there. I've done that and I've only been in development for four years. You've probably done that multiple times oh, yeah. throughout the length of your career. You well, met- and of course, the nice part of it is a pretty good chunk of it. We didn't have agile. So it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's not, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you may have to judge whether it is better to be late on one project in order to accomplish higher priority tasks on another. We kind of hit this a little earlier, too, about when we were talking about a, you, know, you may have a project whose due date is sooner but the tasks are lower priority and you have to look at that and you have to ask your management, Hey, what, where do I need to put my focus? And I've had this conversation where I have said to my lead developer, where do I need to put my focus? Yeah. Cause one thing about task priority that people don't seem to realize is that there's two ways of expressing it. One is the priority of the task. Other is the priority of the tasks in that chain. Mm-hmm. So if you have a low priority task that has high priority stuff waiting on it, yeah, it's a high priority task. Oh, so Even if the time system says it's low priority, yeah, I would say that's not a low priority task if it's got high priority stuff yeah, waiting on just it. Just bear in mind that whatever system you're using for allocating this is very likely full of lies. <laughs> that's very true. On that, watch the time you spend on any given task. Use a time tracker to monitor and record how much time you're spending. Like, Will and I both use Toggle for our personal task tracking. Yeah, and I haven't done that as much here lately, but I do it every time I feel like I'm starting to get off the rails. Yeah. And I re-audit, and I just go, okay, what what's actually happening? This will give you a good idea of how much time each project is taking, and you'll see if one project is taking up most of your time. This is really good if you're doing consulting. Yeah. And you find out that, oh, hey, bookkeeping is taking up four hours you know, a week or something. It's like, yeah. I could 
pay somebody to do it, you know, and they could do it in a half hour. And I hate it anyway. This is funny. It's a conversation that um, I forget who I had it with, but uh, the place that I'm moving to, there is someone that mows the lawns for all of the houses in that neighborhood. And they charge less than I would charge per hour yeah. to mow the lawn. We've got that here too. And I, I looked at it and I kind of enjoy mowing the lawn, but I was like, you know, if I can get, because it would take me about two hours to mow the lawn. I'm like, if I can get one hour of work a week more yeah. than I would because of that, it's worth my time. And I, I had a conversation with someone that said, hey, you know, are you actually going to work during those that extra hours. I'm like, even if I don't, it's still worth my time because yeah. I need downtime too. Yeah, and that's taking away important. from that downtime. Yeah. Yeah. If if not um, more important than actually adding an hour on. Uh, the next thing is you got to know your abilities and the max amount of stuff you can do. So it's really natural, especially early on when you're trying to be a people pleaser to say yes to everything. I have a really bad problem with this. I've had it my whole life. And I, cause I want to keep doing more and more things. And, and I, I'm trying to keep the smirk from coming into my voice. <laughs> uh, you've known me. Yeah. Cause like that's, that's been a feature of your personality. Like you, you say yes to everything. And then it's just like, well, let's see what catches on fire. You want to make your team and your management happy. Like this, this comes out of a good place. Right. But if you take on too much, it has the opposite effect. You get overwhelmed and you run the risk of, failing all your commitments and it damages you it damages the team and your name keeps coming up with every failure people start associating those two things you're not going to impress management yeah you're likely you're going to make them angry yeah i know a guy um you know i had a conversation with a friend of mine um because he was he was like you know i feel like there's a pattern to all my jobs because i I worked there for a few years and then i get fired i'm like well let's, let's talk that through what's what happens and he's like, well, you know, I start out doing just a certain thing and then something else comes up and I'm doing more and something else comes up and I'm doing more. And what actually happens is he goes from a 40 hour week job over a period of about two years to an 80 hour week job, gets completely burned out, gets snowed under like where he physically can't do more. And then he gets fired because he drops the ball when all he had to do was say no yes. two years ago. <laughs> this reminds me of when I was in medical school, I was the second vice president of the SGA in med school. And so we were a new school, first class. We were learning what all responsibilities we had. And so things would start with the president and he would be like, all right, well, I don't, I don't have capacity to do this. So I'm going to roll it down to the first vice president. He would be, all right, well, this, this is outside the realm that I normally work in. So I don't have capacity to do this. So it would roll down to me. So you basically described every organizational structure out there yeah. just then. <laughs> and I ended up having to quit SGA in order to plan my wedding. Yeah. Because I realized I was doing so much. When I left, they split my tasks up between three people. Yep. Um, that's the thing. It's people assume you're running a marathon when you're sprinting. Yeah. And, you know, they go, <laughs> oh, he's fast. Yeah. You know, Usain Bolt does not run marathons. Uh-huh. You know, he bolts, as it were. <laughs> um, the thing is, it's really, really important to know your own limits. Yeah. If you take on too much load, you're going to be unproductive. If just, you know, context switching, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. There's nothing less productive than an unfinished, urgent task. Yeah. And here's the other thing, too, is you've got to think about your productivity in terms of kind of almost like a probability, like a distribution thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not how productive am I on my least productive days? And I'm going to base everything on that. 
because then you're, you're never going to get ahead and you're not going to be really effective, but you cannot base it on your most productive because that's not most of them. You have to ask how much do you get done when you have no interruptions and I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> and how much do you get done when you are constantly being interrupted? Negative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and take that range and go, all right, my ability is somewhere in this range. Yeah. I and would it's going to be slightly the lower. End. Yeah, I'd get slightly low of the middle. Right. To give myself some slack. Because the thing is, if you go, if you commit to less and then you get, you get, to a point where you, hey, I've got everything done. You can always grab something else and mm-hmm. take it out. And then it looks good because everybody planning is basing it on that. Whereas if you fail, not so much. Well, this is something that we do in our sprint planning is we try to have more stories available than we have capacity for. Right. Because we will we'll commit to a certain capacity and then we'll grab a couple of stories that are already defined and approved and they've They've been tasked and everything, and we'll pull them into the sprint as approved but not committed. Right. Because you know what? We may get through all our committed tasks and development hits that, but QA doesn't get to it. Or the API gets to it, but the UI doesn't or vice versa. It's not a loss if we don't get that uh, extra task. But if we do, it just means that's even better. Yeah. It it just lets you feel more capacity. Mm -hmm. You also have to know your style for handling multitasking. Like I know developers that like doing two or three things at a time. Like they'll have multiple solutions open and they do something on one and they jump over. Mm -hmm. I cannot do that. Um, That's real bad for me. Some people really like juggling a few tasks at a time. And personally, if it's not deep thinking type stuff. Yeah. And I think that's part of the deal too, is a lot of the stuff, like by the time I'm involved, it's nasty because that's the stuff I preferentially pick. So as with me, I don't get, I'm not far enough along in my career to get to pick things yeah. like you are. So sometimes I have several things though. There have been times where I have had to say in Slack, please stop tagging me. I can only focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. And because they, the first bug they found was super, like it was really intense. I was like, wow, that that's going to take me a while. I've got to do some serious focus to figure out what's even going on there. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of things and, I would say 90% of the time it's symptoms of the same problem. Yeah. It's like they noticed it here and then they noticed something here, 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 and here that are all the same problem. It's just different symptoms. Yeah. But I get ta- I get tagged for each one. Hey, I found this. Hey, I found this. Hey, I found this. I'm like, please stop tagging me because I can't focus if I get pinged all the time. Uh, whereas other times I, you know, if it's a bunch of lighter stuff, I'm like, all right, oh, yeah, hey, that's related to this, and that's related to this. I can fix all of these in one thing. Let me give give me about five minutes. It, it, it's And the problem, I think, too, is QA, who's not a developer, doesn't know the difference. Yeah. you got your, your QA people, okay, one problem that really happens a lot is when the QA people are not developers. I'm not sure that you can really actually do that very well, just because, like, I, I look at QA and testing and, uh, like, Deployment stuff as harder facets of development, not as things that are not development. So interruptions really hinder you when you are dropped into one task for hours. That's why like, I get really cranky really fast when I start getting interrupted a lot. Like, I mean, I have a coworker that just keeps on, you know, he busts in a lot. Mm-hmm. Like right now he's doing that a lot. And there's various reasons for that. But I mean, we had a meeting the other day and he just like walked into our meeting and I, I told him, I said, we're in a meeting right now. 
like just like you know and that is not characteristic for me to to state the obvious at that level like i try not to do that on that note you need to learn to say no properly you turn your no into a larger conversation provide an alternative solution you'll build a reputation as a problem solver which is what you're actually getting paid for, by the way, instead of typing. Right. If you provide an alternative solution. Now, the thing is, and this is something that I kind of learned the last couple of days after I wrote this outline. Sometimes you don't know the solution. Yeah. But the way that you address it. So, and this is the mistake I made. And I had a conversation with our lead about this. And it was the way that I responded to it because I knew where the problem was, but I didn't know what the problem was. So I said, oh, that is a problem with this. And that blew up because then I have our BA and our QA asking a million questions. Whereas if I had just said, oh, hey, that's really interesting. Give me a chance to look into it. You would have fixed it before it came up. Yeah. Yeah, Before it became a big, like, we need to have a schedule a meeting to have a conversation about this. Yeah. You've got to learn to strategically use information asymmetry right. in a corporate environment or you are toast. Mm-hmm. Also, if you are overwhelmed or can't finish on time, ask for help. Yeah. And the task could be harder than expected. I have a junior dev. We handed him some stuff that um, I'm working on it now. And literally, this is the hardest spec I have written since I got there. And this guy was on this for like six or eight weeks and just struggling, but not saying anything. And, you know, my, my boss asked me how it was going. And I'm like, look, dude, this, this is really hard. Like I was writing this spec and you know how you get like, like hyper-focused on something. And then you, you, you come up from the spec and you look around and things look weird. Like you're just, your brain is cooked. That has, that's been the way it's been the entire time. So it's very easy to get this wrong. Tell your team and let them help you with it. This may mean breaking it down and spreading it out, or it could be reducing other responsibilities while you focus on this task. Yeah, and the rest of the team, just knowing that will protect you a lot of times. Yeah. Don't try to be the hero and suffer in silence. Yeah. I always always wondered about people with martyr syndrome because it's like, dude, don't you know what happens to martyrs? Mm -hmm. Now, you also need to overlay your project plans. So you put all your major due dates from different projects onto the same calendar, or you do like the Google thing where you've got a calendar for each one and you combine it Mm -hmm. so you can see it. And you look for weeks where several projects have key deliverables due, and then you try to get that moved. Um, You might be able to move some around. Maybe if you can't get it moved, then you at least know when you've got a lot of work due. And so you might be able to move stuff in the previous week so that you get ahead and you just don't tell them that you're done. Mm-hmm. You, you got to learn how to manage that. If you can't get them moved, you'll at least know when you'll have all that stuff to do. You can then predict when you're going to be stressed out or stretched thin. Yeah. That's very important because you can move things around in your personal life. Right. Or you could start bringing your lunch to work that week because yeah. I know I'm not going to get to eat. Instead of being stressed out, about I'm starving and I'm hungry it's like okay i had a sandwich i'm back at it and the next week i can take a two-hour lunch break right Uh, or you know if you work remote you can prep your meals so that you don't have to actually cook them you can eat them cold yeah at home or you can not plan things at night because you're gonna you know you're gonna be stressed out you know you're not gonna want to go out if you're introverted or vice versa you plan things at night because you're an extrovert and that's how you that's how you recharge Yeah. yeah i mean you just really have to 
think about this stuff a lot. And you also need to make sure you complete something every day towards your goals. So it's really easy to never get a sense of completion. That kind of piles the stress on worse. What you want to do is select one task to complete every day, focus on it, and don't leave your desk until it's finished. Once it's completed, take time to enjoy that sense of completion. Now, this may be, you know, five, ten minutes where you just get up and you're like, you know what, I got something done. You stretch, you walk around a little bit, and then you jump right back into it. Yeah. But it's important to stop juggling your multiple tasks and enjoy a job well done. Yeah. In other words, you got to maintain your state. Yeah. That's really what this comes down to. Now, the final set we're going to talk about is managing perceptions. Yeah. So, speaking of managing state, this is managing the other dude's state. (laughs) Very good. You'll need to keep communication open with your team, your management, and your stakeholders. This will help manage their expectations of what you can do and what you're going to deliver. If you run into impediments, they'll know sooner and up front, hey, something's come up. It's not going to be exactly the way we expected. Yeah. So the first one is you've got to know your teams that are in all these projects. You start by figuring out who to ask for help on each of your projects. The time to do this is not when things are on fire. Mm-hmm. You don't learn the fire department's number when your house is you know, blowing Burn. cinders. Yeah. That's a bad time. So on this uh, recently, I had to get in touch with one of the developers who had formerly been on a team that I'm on to come back and answer some questions about something that we're working on because the it was a UI developer and the new UI developer didn't know and I hadn't worked on the that area of the UI, so I didn't either. We had to get him to come in and, and help us out. And so it's knowing your teams that that well and leveraging each of your teams you're on to help address your strengths and weaknesses. So one team may be stronger in areas that you can use to help another team grow, or you may be able to take over certain areas and teach one team from things that you learned on another. Get to know your teams and what they're interested in so far as development and also learning what they want to know about. This will make it a lot more fun and it'll make you more productive and more engaged in what's going on. Yeah, it's also how you get to be management material. Right. Is doing stuff like this. Now, learning to identify your teammates' strengths and weaknesses. I mean, that's that could be an episode topic all by itself. But mm-hmm. figure out who you can go to when you need help to solve a problem and who you're actually able to learn from. Now, that may not necessarily mean that they know more than you. <laughs> it's who you can actually work with to learn stuff. Also, look for who is likely to ask you for help and be prepared to guide them. So... If you know what their task is, go, okay, I think they're going to run into these things. Let me be ready when they get here because one, you can help them and you know move them along. But the other thing is it doesn't chew up as much of your time. Mm-hmm. So I have been labeled as the in-hibernate expert at work. I'm the SQL server hierarchy ID expert. I will trade. <laughs> no, no. Um, so the reason I am labeled as the in-hibernate expert is I think I have... Maybe about six months more experience than anyone else. Yeah. I am not an expert. And what threw me off is we had one of our senior developers. Mind you, I just got promoted to to advance, which we're both advanced developers, but I consider him senior and me mid-level, to be honest with you. But he came to me and said, hey, 
I was told you're the expert on and hibernate. I need some help with this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Stop right there. I am not an expert. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. I, I can help help you. I can help you look things up and explain some things, but please do not spread the rumor that I am an expert. Yeah, I was I just happened to be there nearby. This is like saying Ice Cube is an expert on the Titanic because one sank it. That is not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now on that note, and, and you kind of hinted at this too, even less experienced people on your team can help you out. They may be more up to date on newer technology and techniques. Well, and they have neuroplasticity too. Yeah. Well, for example, um, Dave, who does Junior Developer Toolbox, he and I worked together on the same team, but we also did, um, and you know, I'm, you know, he's a junior developer. I'm an advanced, but he, we also worked together on a presentation and he knew more about some of the JavaScript stuff than I did because it's been a while since I've done that. I've been focused on the C sharp and I learned from him. So even though I'm, you know, a few years ahead of him in experience, I still learned things from him and experience can at times become baggage holding older developers back. Yeah, because you know a way to do something and it's not the way it's done now. Um, I've as, run into this too. As somebody that you know has done this a long time, you know, we, we've got habits and yeah. it, it's very easy because, you know, I mean, cred, like when I started using SQL, for instance, you did mm -hmm. cursors everywhere. That's not the way to do a lot of stuff now. And I know plenty of senior developers or long time developers that still do things that way and they really kill performance. Like you just, it's a thing. Make use of your coworkers and team members by delegating tasks. You might be able to delegate whole projects. For example, uh, one of the other junior developers that I worked with when I was junior, we found that there was a service that we needed to build and we were talking about it and we both needed it. I remember I said to her, well, you know what? I'll have capacity tomorrow afternoon to do it. And she said, you know what? I'm not working on anything right now. I can do it right now. So she took it. Yeah. And built it. And and the thing about that is that's not, you know, you aren't saying, hey, you do it. You're you're kind of doing an indirection towards delegation. Yeah. Like you're making, you're, you're not doing a push model. It's a pull. Well, it was, it was one of those things. It was like, all yeah. right, which one of us is going to do it? We're sitting, we're, we're standing here at work going, Hey, which one of us is going to do it? And I said, well, you know what? I can do it tomorrow afternoon is the earliest I can get to it. She said, Oh, well, I've got capacity right now. I could work on it this afternoon. So she's the one that took it. There were other things that we were talking about that I took on because yeah. I had capacity sooner. Right. Um, and you might not be able to delegate an entire project. You might have to do parts of it. Mm -hmm. And and that's completely okay. It also doesn't mean that you get away with going, okay, this other developer took it. I'm not responsible for it. Right. Like, you don't want to start doing that because management gets – because that's what they do. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> well, I can say that as somebody in that position. But, um, you know, you, you got to be careful about that so that you still are, are – you know, on top of things. Yeah. You, you have to provide some oversight on it, especially if you are responsible for it. Yeah. This will let you know that the work is being done effectively and to any required standards that you have. Next is stay organized. Use your work tracking tool to see a snapshot of the state of your project. You'll be able to tell what features or bugs need to be addressed. Um, ours doesn't do a very good job job of that 
Um, we tend to kind of write a lot of stuff down and go, okay, this is where I think we are. And you kind of talk and figure it out. Like there's not a, there's no dashboard. Our task tracking system is homegrown and internal Mm -hmm. and it's built around the idea of entering data, not on being able to see it at a glance. Uh, yeah. And so like there's bugs out there that might be high priority critical and it's like, oh yeah, we're not working on that for six months. And then there's something else that's low priority because it, it's not there, I yeah. guess is the best way to put it. Um, so your tracking tool needs to be set up correctly. And it needs to exist. <laughs> um, <laughs> Most importantly, yeah. you need to have buy-in from the whole company and team to yeah. even have one. Yeah, because otherwise it does not get used consistently and it, it won't work. It's like having a wiki. If, you, if not everybody's using the wiki... It, it's not going to work. Yeah. You can use an agile workflow to manage planning, estimation, and workflow oh. itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, your agile workflow should be developed yeah. in an agile fashion. Like yeah. it's a meta process around that. Mm-hmm. You want to break your work down into sprints or chunks of work <laughs> or large waterfalls <laughs> large torrents of water going over a cliff <laughs> organize tickets or stories within the sprint board um, one way is to create a board that consists of to do in progress in pr qa and done columns yeah or whatever your steps are in your, yeah. your workflow you know features and bugs don't get moved into like the qa column unless the developers are confident that the acceptance criteria of that ticket has been met. Now, we do have some of that that I pushed because we had stuff that was like, it's done in development, and mm-hmm. then it would immediately come back from QA. No, it's not. And it's like, it's not been deployed yet. So we have like a development done and then a ready for QA. And those two steps were the same before. And I finally was like, look, we, we can't. The last thing we're going to talk about is managing expectations. Yeah, you got to check in with your boss just enough so that they're aware of what you're doing. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but if you're juggling a few related tasks and you don't see the connection between those tasks, you need to ask. You know, first off, check with your coworkers before going to management, especially if you're new on a team um, or if you, you're being brought in. But even if you've been there for a while and you just don't understand something, it's going to make you look better if you check with your coworkers first because they may be able to answer your questions. Well, and they may be more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing, too, is you know when you start getting the higher up you go, the less resolution you have at the ground. <laughs> That's very true. Um, um, you can also use them for second opinions or check-ins and other questions that you have. Yeah, and you don't want to rush your manager. So, like, if you if you come across as being really resourceful, that's that's a good thing. And knowing what questions to ask and when to ask them, like, when you're legitimately stuck, that's probably something that should get escalated to them. Mm-hmm. I like to make sure the management knows what I'm doing so I can control the timing of my interactions with management about what I'm doing. And there's going to be times when you can't get everything done for everyone and letting your project teams know when you're available and when you plan to have your work completed is going to help them out. Make sure also to let management know as well as the stakeholders so they can manage their expectations. I know I had a boss once that said, hey, if you can't get done with this, if you can't finish, I want to know earlier. Yeah. It's like, you will not get in trouble if you tell me, you know, a week before it's due that you can't get it done. But if it comes up the day it's due and you said, oh, hey, I had this issue. And, and it's going to take a week. Yeah. Then you're going to get in trouble. But if you tell me a week before or even as soon as you know, if it's two days before and you tell me as soon as you know, 
you're not going to get in trouble because something came up. Yeah. Like, you're don't let gonna- me be putting the roof line on the house when I find out the foundation's cracked. Right. And this goes into letting the people who are affected know as soon as you can that you can't keep those commitments. It keeps everyone in the communication loop and everyone knows what to expect. If they expect that, hey, this this is going to take an extra week, they're not mad when it takes an extra week. Yeah. People get offended, but the thing about getting offended is usually the first step, and that is being surprised. Yeah. What you want to do is to include a revised estimate when you talk to them. You want to say, hey, this came up. Here's what I expect to get done. Yeah. If if you have that availability, it may be this came up and we are waiting on this external resource. Like quantum computing. Yeah. When that, <laughs> when that comes back, then it will take a week from the time it comes back. Yeah. Of course, the one I've, my favorite one to use is, yeah, okay, so if I can get close enough to the speed of light, I think I can get this done in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, guys, these are just a few ways to help manage yourself and your projects to make working on multiple projects survivable. The best way to get good at working on multiple projects is to do it and gain experience. Start by joining smaller projects once you're comfortable with your main project at work, and then use these tips to help keep yourself productive without becoming overwhelmed while working on multiple projects at the same time. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to point out that uh, the trick with juggling is not to drop the ball. That's what this episode is about. Now, the trick to juggling knives is to not do it at all. This also applies to chainsaws, you know, large angry mammals, whatever. I was told a long time ago to never try to catch a falling knife. It's a real good way to get cut. This tricks of the trade isn't about knives, however. It applies to how you handle really bad situations. When you see a situation that is bad enough, you should ask yourself whether you want to be involved rather than assuming automatically that you should be. Sometimes trying to fix it just isn't worth the risk. Be careful that you don't take on something that's going to come back to bite you later. Uh, This is true at an office environment where there's a project that's very clearly going to fail You can try to jump in and try to be a hero and try to fix it. You're probably trying to catch a falling knife and you're going to get cut. This is also true of personal relationships as well, unfortunately. Sometimes you'll run into people that are just broken and you can't fix them and you should not be trying, unfortunately. So that's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.